if in the introduction I referred to the darkest places in the forests of society, and perhaps a good place to start is to recall that those dark places have always been with us down through recorded history, haven't they? They have indeed. And those are what are symbolized, actually, in the forest adventurers of the Grail. And there's a wonderful statement in the quest of El St. Graal. That's the version of the romance in which Galahad figures. The um, knights are challenged by Gawain to go in quest of the Grail to behold it unveiled. And the text says they decided to do so. But they thought it would be a disgrace to go forth in a group. Each entered the forest at a place that he had chosen, where it was darkest and there was no way or path. That's to say, each must find his own path. Following a path, you're following someone else's destiny. And one of the great, I think, spiritual insights of the peculiarly European Western tradition is that each of us has his own destiny and just doesn't run along an already mapped out track. So often we see those dark places as huge problems in our life, whether we view our life as an individual or our role in the overall society. And we relate to it as a problem as opposed to an opportunity. What does mythology say about that? Well, I would say that mythology tells us that where you stumble, that's where your treasure is. There are so many examples, for example, in the Arabian Nights of someone, let's say, plowing a field and his plow gets caught and then he digs down to find what caught it and it's a ring of some kind. He hoists the ring and down below is a cave with all of the jewels in it. And so it is in our own psyche. Our psyche is the cave with all the jewels in it. And it's the fact that we're not letting their energies move us that uh, brings us up short. And so it is. The world is a match for us, and we're a match for the world. And where it seems to be most challenging is where the greatest invitation lies to find deeper and greater powers in ourselves. So we need to push ourselves. Right. Toynbee, in his history work, speaks of challenge and response. And every culture, as well as individual, runs into these challenges. And if the power to respond fails, then that's the end. But where the power to respond succeeds, there comes a new amplification of life and consciousness. We seem to be in the place, both individually and societally, of reacting as opposed to responding, as you mentioned, in the, in the sense that if you look at history, just in the past 20, 30, 40 years, one can look at the present and see the same mistakes were there just 10 years ago, and yet we seem to still be reacting in the same way. How can we move into that response mode? Well, in a personal life, as well as in uh, culture history, there are what might be called cliches of response that become established. I remember as a young man, I'd fall in love in a certain way and then think to myself, well, how am I ever going to get out of this particular uh, situation? 
and get out of it, and three weeks later would be in the same situation with someone who had blonde hair instead of brown. The circumstances seem to change, but the cliché is in one's psyche. And what you have to come to is a new level of understanding what your relationship to life might be. That's the creative act. But your word is entirely correct. We're responding instead of creating. We're reacting. Reaction instead of action. Yes. But action requires an innovation. Yeah. I noticed writing. You could say this the way you had said it before, but then it would be the same thing, you know, that inertia. On the other hand, every sentence is a challenge to say it anew, and the anew is a totally new statement, really. So it is in, in living life every day. Sometimes we're afraid of the new. The new is almost like a threat to our well-being. And that's kind of the way it's been down through the ages, hasn't right. it? Right. And you're also afraid of being criticized. It's a sticking your neck out. That's what life is. And this is what every minute requires. And in any kind of creative work, painting, writing, music composition, or inventive action, you're sticking your neck out. And you know the symbol of the Star of David, the two triangles? Well, this symbol occurs also in the Sanskrit tradition in India, and it's placed in the center of the heart. And what it represents is the upward-pointed triangle effort to move toward the spiritual call of the new innovating um, experience. And the other represents the inertia that calls you down to what was done before and the way it was done before. And it's that new thing that's life. Life is always new. There's a growing point. And where you're not at the growing point, you have become more or less a robot. That's the wasteland. People living not in terms of innovative thinking, but in terms of how it was done successfully before. You know, I recall as you're talking about innovative thinking and doing things anew and in James Joyce's book, Ulysses, in one of your books where you were saying, where you first came in touch with that book, and he was, how do I read this? Yes. And you were talking to a friend, I believe, and yes. and I think that's an example of, of what we're talking about. Yes. And I'd like to hear, you know, your experience, that initial experience of James Joyce, and then how you learned the, the symbology. And well, I was in Paris as a student of medieval languages, Old French, Provençal, Middle High German, and so forth and so on. And Joyce at that time, this is back in 1927-28, Joyce was not known in this country. His Ulysses wasn't permitted in this country. And we had no idea that he had already begun work on the wild thing that was to come out as Finnegan's Wake. So I went into a bookstore, and there was the blue Ulysses, you know, Avevue. Ulysses, maybe, monsieur. So I got the Ulysses, and I started reading this thing. In chapter 3, I thought I was going crazy. <laughs> I went around, went around to uh, Shakespeare Limited on Place de l'Odéon, which is where Sylvia Beach, who had, who had published the book, was. And I walked in as an indignant academic person, saying, how do you read a thing like this? And she said, as follows. And she gave me some information and some books to help me on my way. But talking about innovation, is that not an innovation? Every single chapter is a totally new innovation, and there's no repetition of anything. And this moves right on through Finnegan's Wake in, in grand style. This winter in New York, the big thing for me, at any rate, was the Picasso exhibition, you know, four miles of pictures by this man. 
And at the age of 16, he produced two paintings which were of academic perfection. He got into the academy by passing the exam when he was 13. So what do you do with your life if you're producing academically perfect works at the age of 16? And every step thereafter was an innovation. Every step, as you go from one room to the next, he was like the growing point, as it were, the growing point of the whole 20th century pressure of all.